I heard of chapter 6. I don't think we're in chapter 6 yet. Verse 6. Verse 6. Chapter 4. Yeah. Flying through, right? First Corinthians chapter 4. Still hear some rustling right before Second Corinthians. <laughs> Just kidding. It is, but Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, we just want to lift up James's family and Lord, those close to him that are, uh, that are grieving now, that you would bring them comfort, that you would um, keep them all close to your heart. And Lord, as we consider your greatness, we thank you that you've enabled us to rejoice in so great a salvation, that you've made possible, Jesus, because of your life, your death, and your resurrection. We thank you. We thank you for your work in our hearts this morning. We need to hear from you. We love to hear your voice. We are looking forward to a fresh work of your spirit within each one of us, God. And so have your way. Do those things that only you can do. Lord, meet us right where we are at. You're so good to do that, so faithful. Each, each day, each week, month after month, you are so faithful. Thank you. And so we commit this time to you now, and we thank you, Lord, ahead of time for the great things that you are going to do this morning. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. So let me get the clock going here. There we go. So chapter four, remember where we left off. I just want to set the context in case you haven't been here with us. I think it's important to be reminded of uh, where we came from, where we're going with this letter. Remember with me, it was the Apostle Paul who had planted um, this church at Corinth. He planted the church, he pastored the church, and after he left Corinth, problems arose within the church. Correct? You guys with me? And he's dealing with this first um, challenge, this first problem, and it's taking him four chapters to really uh, to nail this down. And it's an important lesson, isn't it? that we would be unified together as believers. Are you with me? Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are wow. one. And so there was division in the church. And you remember the cause of the division, right? Certain groups of people in the church were rallying around their favorite pastor or leader. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. I'm on Paul's team. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, correct? Who is Cephas, by the way? Peter. Cephas was Peter, right? Some were saying, hey, you know what? We're of Paul's group. You know, we're better than you because Paul planted the church, pastored the church. We're on his team. Um, some were saying, well, we love Apollos. We're on Apollos' team. He's the eloquent speaker. He was schooled in Alexandria. He's got this radical wisdom and uses great illustrations. And some were saying, you know what? I'm of Peter. 
He, he walked with Jesus. Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Apollos didn't walk with Jesus. Peter walked on water, right? Paul didn't walk on water. Apollos didn't walk on water. Peter, we're of Peter's crew. And so what, happened, what happens with all of that, with divisions, we know where, where the root is. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, by pride comes nothing but contention or strife. So it's a pride issue. Pride is seeing myself above, seeing myself above others, seeing myself as better than others. Really the pinnacle of pride, the pinnacle of pride is, is being disobedient to God's word and saying, I know better than God, I'll do it my way. But in, in this case, they were being, Paul uses the phrase puffed up. You guys ever heard that phrase before? We're going to see it used over and over in this chapter. They were puffed up. We might say he's got a he's got a he's swole head, right? Is that what? He's got a big head. He's got a big head, right? He's swollen in the noggin. He's full of pride, or she's full of pride. They got a big head. That's the idea. They're puffed up with pride, and we're going to see that. And so, um, by pride comes nothing but contention. God resists the proud, but gives grace. To the humble and pride is so destructive you guys and usually we're like the last ones to know right the last ones to see it in our lives and so paul is trying to help them get along if you will and so let's check it out together we ended in verse we finished verse five last week can we get a running start i'm gonna start from the chapter not chapter one verse one check it out here's what god's word says let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. So Paul reminded them, I'm a servant, I'm an under rower, I'm just doing my job, being faithful to do what Jesus has called me to do. And I love that reminder, God will praise you for what you do on this earth. He's gonna praise you. All the bad stuff has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the good stuff that you've done for Jesus, you'll be praised for by the Lord. That's a good reminder, isn't it? Paul's like, that's why I just keep rowing. I just keep being faithful to do what the Lord has called me to do. Now, look what he says next. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to who? To myself and Apollos for your sakes. Why? that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have 
that you did not receive. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And so this is so good where Paul goes here. I love this. So let me draw your attention back to verse 6. He says, now these things I've figuratively transferred to myself and to Apollos. What things is he talking about? What is Paul speaking of figuratively here? Well, servants and underrowers. Was Paul a literal underrower? A literal, was he literally under a ship rowing a boat? No, he's speaking figuratively. Was Paul a slave? A literal slave? He was not a literal slave. He was a, a figurative slave. Correct? He says, I figuratively applied these things to myself and Apollos. Paul and Apollos were not literal slaves nor literal rowers. It's figurative. And he says, I'm using these illustrations, applying them to myself and to Apollos. Why? For your benefit. In other words, Paul's other-centered here with his ministry. That's so important, you guys. Ministry is always other-centered. Jesus-style ministry is always others-centered. And he says here, this is, he says, why? That you would not go beyond or think beyond what is written in God's Word. I figuratively use this illustration, this example, as an under-rower, as a servant, that you would not think of us as something super special, as some kind of celebrity, if you will. In other words, that none of you, this would not cause any of you to be puffed up, swollen in pride, and then divide. In other words, he's saying here, stop making this an issue about me and Apollos. Stop creating factions. Stop lifting up one leader over another. Stop exalting your little group over all the other little groups in the church. And I like what he says here. Notice what it says right in the middle of verse 6. He says that you um, may learn in us not to think beyond what is what? What is written. And he's speaking of the, the Bible and the scriptures. In other words, they were doing their Bible study. That is a good thing. Correct? Is that a good thing to do Bible study this morning? <laughs> yeah. When it says written, it's speaking about the written word of God. In other words, it's good. We need to keep our thinking biblical, you guys, to test everything we hear with the word of God, what we see, to, to, to meditate upon the word of God, that our lives would be fruitful. Psalm 1, correct? The word of God, again, will be the most important influence in our lives. But listen, um, if you are becoming more critical more judgmental, more divisive, or more proud, there may be a chance you are going beyond what is written in the Word of God. This is an important lesson that that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach. If our time in the Word, our Bible study, our spending time at the feet of Jesus is making us more proud, there's a problem. If our time in God's Word is making us more critical of others, there's a problem. If our time in the Word of God is making us more divisive, guess what? There's a problem, isn't there? Remember when, remember when Mary and Martha spent time at the feet of Jesus? You guys remember that story? You guys remember that story? It was a cool story, isn't it? What happened? Jesus came over for lunch. What do you serve Jesus, by the way, if you can have him over? He comes over, right, with the whole gang, all the boys. He's having a Bible study right there in the living room. Where's Mary positioned? Right at the feet of Jesus. 
by the way, that, that, is the most, that is the best, most precious piece of real estate on the planet. It's blood-bought turf for you and me. It's yours. She's right there taking in the word of God. And, it's, and it says Martha also sat at his feet, but this day she was spending more time in the kitchen concerned about whatever, the meal, the hospitality, and everything else. And she busts out of the kitchen, you guys remember, hands on the hips, Lord, that's how I picture her. <laughs> Do you not care? My sister, not Mary, my sister, that's when you know you're really mad. My sister, <laughs> my sister sitting there at your feet. I'm in the kitchen all alone. And, and, but doesn't that happen when we haven't been at the feet of Jesus? Lord, don't you care? We're accusing him of not caring. Tell her to get in here. What happens when we haven't been at the feet of Jesus? We start commanding the Lord to do stuff for us. Our, you know your priorities are all out of whack. Correct? And don't you love how Jesus responded? Martha, Martha, you're, concerned, you're troubled and worried about many things. But Mary has chosen that one thing. Right? That won't be taken away from her. The best part. The needful part. That's the need. We need to spend time at the feet of Jesus, you guys. It puts everything back into place. But when we haven't been at the feet of Jesus, we can become critical, divisive, proud. And, and, and Paul's reminding them, listen, don't go above and beyond what is written and viewing us in this way. You're doing that, and it's causing division. It's causing pride in your hearts and in your lives. And in fact, in, the, in verse 7, he asks three questions that should humble us, that should humble. If there's any pride in our hearts, it should, it should be eradicated this morning. Look, what he's, look at the three questions and the three answers. Number one, verse seven, for who makes you differ from one another? Some of your translations may say, who makes you different from one another? Who makes you differ? Who makes us differ, you guys? Who made you? God, God did, correct? Hopefully we all are on the same page here. Did God make you? Yes, thank you. Does God make us different? Sometimes, sometimes, you, sometimes we use that word different about people, don't we? That Pastor Mike, he's a little different. <laughs> or so-and-so is a little different. But you know what? Every one of us here, we're a little different. Aren't we? Did God use a cookie cutter on us? All you got to do is look. Does God love variety? All you got to do is look around this room, correct? Right, correct? Different shades of colors, right? Different body types. Different hair, right? Some no hair types. Okay, it's cool. It's cool. You know? He makes us unique. Are you with me? God is so creative. I look at our kids. I look at my kids. How about our kids? Aren't they different? Are your kids all the same? You with multiple kids. Aren't they different? I've got four, and it's like they're different compass points. North, south, east, west. They're all going different directions. Trying to, keep, you know, trying to keep them all on the same page, going the same direction by the grace of God. But they're all different, and that's a beautiful thing. I don't try to make them all the same. 
They're all wired differently, just like every one of us. God has created us differently, wired us differently, but he's brought us together as a family under the lordship of Jesus Christ to all go his direction. But it's beautiful what he does. God loves variety, you guys. He loves variety. And why? It takes all of us to reflect his glory. Every single one of us. And and the beauty of his creation and what he does in and through our lives. God has brought together a bunch of different people. And I think the Lord is saying to us this morning, I want you to get along with people who are different than you. I brought you together as a family. I want you to be one. Not Not everyone is your flavor. You're all different, but you're to fit together. Anybody here do puzzles? Do you, do you pick out, just, I'm just going to do just the green ones, and that's it. That's it, no more, just the green. You don't do that, do you? Because you, you don't get the whole picture, do you? And God wants to use green and, and the yellows and the reds and put it all together to make this beautiful picture of his grace and his glory to a lost world. You guys, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, his, his poema, his work of art to a lost world. That, he, that people would look at our lives and say, wow, how could God bring together a motley crew like that? <laughs> look at how they love one another. Look at how they're so knit together. That is not normal. That is not natural. And it's like, amen, it's supernatural. It's a supernatural work of his spirit that he does within us and within the church. And it's glorious. He connects us together in a special way. Listen, God intended that we'd fit together that we'd work together, that we'd get along, that we might depict his beauty, the beauty of the Lord. Who made you the way you are? God did. God made me the way I am. And and you know what? The world tries to conform us. Doesn't the world try to conform us? We're to no longer be conformed to the the pattern of this world, the Bible says. We're, We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And not just that, I think, the Lord, I think the Lord sanctifies our personalities. He sanctifies our personalities in a special way and uses us. Are all, I mean, think about that. Were all the disciples the same? Think about, the, were all the, writer, all the writers of the Bible the same? Think about James. Is James like John? Isn't like James like up in your face? Like, correct? Don't we need Jameses in our lives? We do, don't we? I'm grateful for the Jameses in my life. And there are some Jameses here. There's some Johns, you apostle of loves. Is that a word? (laughs) There's some Pauls. We need a Paul. Correct? Are you with me? Timothys? Barnabases? We need the whole shooting match. We need all the flavors. Correct? Are you with me? And so if there's a difference between us, it's because of what God has done in us. There's no reason for us to be swollen with pride to be puffed up. It's his work. In fact, look at the next question. Look at question number two there in verse seven. What's the answer to this one? And what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. We've received everything from him, haven't we? He's given us life and breath and all things, correct? Who's given you that brain to think with? God has. Who's given you those eyes to see that God has? That tongue, to, the taste buds on your tongue to taste awesome food, to be able to eat and enjoy those things. 
That he, who's provided the food? God has. Who, who's given you your job? God has. Who's provided you with the strength and the ability to do your job? God has. Who's provided you the, 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 the teaching, the instruction? Don't tell me YouTube. <laughs> God's provided for you and me. Who's given you your health? Who, who's touched you when you were sick? God has. Right? We don't bow down to Robitussin. Ro- oh, Robitussin. <laughs> P- PM. You're so good. Wow. Hallelujah. <laughs> Correct? Lord, thank you. Lord, you did heal me. You didn't take me home yet. Who rescued you and saved you? God did. Who's forgiven you all your sins? God has. Who's taken away your shame and the condemnation from your life? God has. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't fix ourselves. Who's begun that good work in you and I? God has. Who's given you your spiritual gifts? Who's given you your spiritual gifts? God has. We're stewards of all this stuff. He's given us everything, you guys. And look at the next question. It should compel us. Look at the next question, what he says. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? If, I, if I've received everything from God, I have no right, no reason to boast or brag. I can only boast and brag in Him. Let's bring this back into context. There were some in the church in Corinth who were thinking they were God's gift to the church. And Paul's saying to them, you guys who are self-exalted in ministry, what do you have that doesn't come from God in the first place? In other words, where did you get those spiritual gifts? Those leaders, who gave you those leaders in the church? Who provided you with those, with those pastors and, 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 and all that you have? Who gave you those things? Where did it all come from? This is so good. Listen, anytime God uses you, it's God using you. <laughs> it is by His grace, for His glory. We can't take any credit, can we? It's Him. Listen, anything good that happens here at Calvary Chapel, West Houston, it's because of Jesus. Anything that good that happens in my life or in your life, it's because of Jesus. I've learned all the mistakes are mine. And everything good is of Him and Him alone. And I think, you know, another lesson here is when God does use you because He wants to use your life and He is using your lives, there's a temptation a tendency to take the credit. Don't take the credit. Give it to the Lord. Are you with me? Just like you get criticism. You guys ever get criticized? Anybody here get criticized ever? You take the criticism, you take the praise, and you know what you do with it? Right to the Lord. And you just work it like this. Just like it. Now you got a visual... I'm speaking figuratively here, like a dance move, right to the Lord, right to him. Are you with me? 
Listen, I think, you know, <laughs> has God been good providing for us? Paul's reminding them here, everything that you have is from the Lord. Recognizing that should compel us to praise and thank him. It should cause us to be a thankful people, a grateful people. Are you with me? Remember when the 10 lepers got cleansed? How many came back? One came back. Jesus took note, didn't he? Where's everybody else? Where's the rest? Weren't there 10 lepers cleansed? So Jesus takes note of when we give him thanks. I want to be 10 out of 10. I don't want to be 1 out of 10 on things. Pray for me. Because there's sometimes I miss stuff. It's like, oh, Lord, I, thank you. Wow. You were so good, so gracious back there. But listen, it should compel us in another direction too. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. repentance. Seeing his goodness in my life should cause me to go, oh, God, forgive me. How could I take any credit? How could I think I'm hot stuff when it's all about you, Lord? Thank you for allowing me the privilege to serve you, to be a part of your work. Thank you for the family you've blessed me with. Thank you for giving me such an awesome church family, Lord. You're so good, God. Forgive me if I've ever taken that for granted, because we can, can't we? We take those things for granted that he's given us, that he's blessed us with. And so, let's keep going. Verse 8. God is so good, isn't he? He says, uh, I'm going to read verse 8 through 13. And he says to the Corinthians, you are already full, exclamation point. And he's going to use some sanctified sarcasm here, if you will. Some divine sarcasm. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And so Paul begins this section. It's almost like, you remember when Jesus gave the, um, the report card in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea? You guys remember that? You guys are saying you're rich, you have this, you're in need of nothing, but you know not that you're poor, miserable, naked, blind, wretched, that whole bit. Remember when Jesus gives that report card, that assessment? They thought they were, wow, we're so, we're, we got it going on. We're rich. We're in need of nothing. And so Paul says here in verse 8, you Corinthians, you're already satisfied. You're stuffed. You're already wealthy. You, you're ruling on, you have reigned. You've been ruling on your thrones as kings without us. You Corinthians got it all. You have everything. And then he says, look at the next part of that verse. Indeed, 
Part two, indeed, I wish you were on the throne. Why? So we could also be there with you. That we could rule and reign with you. And listen, one day we will as followers of Jesus Christ. He said we will rule and reign. I don't know what that looks like, but I can't wait to see. It's going to be exciting. Paul says, I wish I was with you, but God has chosen a different route for me. In fact, in fact, I think as we read this, as we continue to read through 1 Corinthians, some in the church were suggesting, saying, intimating, hey, you guys are prospering, but look at Paul. What a loser. Look what's happening to him. He's in prison. He's got no money. He's got no clothes. He's got nothing. Man, what an embarrassment. What does he have to offer? He's not as wise and articulate as us. He can't put thoughts together like we can. And you know what? There's a serious lesson here that we need to take to heart this morning. And here's what it is. They came to conclusions about their spirituality based upon their physical prosperity. They thought, hey, we must be doing really well with the Lord because look at all that we have. I say, you know what? That's happening in the United States, by the way. And we've learned already that just because someone is spiritually gifted doesn't mean they are mature in the Lord. Because Paul talks about that with the Corinthians. Just because you're experiencing physical prosperity doesn't mean you are physical, you're spiritually prospering in the Lord or mature in the Lord either. This is such an important lesson to learn. Because look at the Apostle Paul. Was he spiritually bankrupt? But he was bankrupt. He had no money. He says, we're hungering, we're thirsting. Was that an indication of his spirituality, his condition? No way. In fact, we're going to talk about suffering in just a second here as we read this. And he says, and, and as we look at this, he's not mocking them or making fun of them. He's trying to get them to see clearly. He's trying to get them to see spiritually and to connect the dots spiritually. He says in verse 9, I think, I believe that God has put us on exhibit as apostles. Notice at the extreme end. Men condemned to die. We are sentenced to die. Made a spectacle. That word spectacle, we get the word theater from it. We've been made a spectacle. We've been made a display to be mocked by everyone, including the angels watching also. And the picture, here's the picture, you guys. The picture is, and Paul, Paul again is using a, a word picture here, and it's a parade. And it's Roman soldiers coming back from conquering, and you got the commanders, all the, the generals, they're leading back the, their army, the army's next in the parade, the soldiers, and guess who's at the end? Guess who's at the end? The captives, the losers. Those that are getting led to the arena to get fed to the lions. And Paul's saying here, listen, hey, look at you guys are prospering. Look what's going on with your lives. Man, look what's happening spiritually. But I want you to take a look what's happening with us as apostles. Look at what's happening to our lives. We're being ridiculed. We're being led to the arena. We're being, we're being maligned. It's not glamorous what we're going through. In fact, spiritual leaders in the early church, it was anything but glamorous. 
You, your life was on the line all the time. Same way with much of the world today, by the way. Spiritual leaders have a bullseye on their back where their lives are on the line 24-7 around the world. Here it's a little more mellow, for sure. May change, we never know. And he says, listen, he uses more divine sarcasm in verse 10. The apostles are the losers at the end of that line being led. And he says to them in verse 10, listen, we're morons for Jesus. You are full of wisdom in Jesus. We have no strength, but you are powerful. You are exalted. You're elevated, but we are disgraced, unrecognized, ridiculed. And 11 through 13, Paul paid a price, didn't he? And and sometimes we can think, you know what? I wish I had a walk like the Apostle Paul. I wish I had his fruitfulness. I wish I had a ministry, a powerful ministry like the Apostle Paul. I wish I had his maturity. But look what he went through. It It was rough, wasn't it? We want the power without the cost. We don't want to pay a price. And the Corinthians, they were, listen, the Corinthians, they were all about image. They were all about the the production, if you will. The picture of power and worldly success. They wanted to avoid suffering. And you know, we embrace suffering, don't we? Exciting topic this morning, suffering. I would say some of us, you guys embrace suffering. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Who goes to the dentist here? Right? You, we suffer to get our grill fixed, don't we? You guys ever, you guys ever been in that chair and someone's really gentle working on it? It feels so good. Oh. Like a jackhammer, right? Not if you go to Tanya Arthur. She's the best <laughs> in her crew. But we suffer, don't we? Suffer to get our grill fixed up? Correct? Or no, you guys don't? How about, how about this? New Year's resolution. I'm going to get in shape. <gasps> Six-pack abs, chiseled. <laughs> and so you start going to the gym, right? And you, su- don't you, you suffer through your strenuous workout to get in shape to get cut up listen there's we listen there's things we suffer for for things we want correct and there is suffering involved in our walk with the lord god develops his children through suffering are you with me this morning life is not always rosy In fact, Jesus let us know right up front that it would be difficult, didn't he? Those that have chosen the broad path that leads to destruction, that's Broadway, that's the easy route. If we've chosen to follow Jesus going the narrow way, he said it's difficult right up front, you guys. He let us know. It's difficult not only because we live in a fallen world with fallen people, but there's a very real devil that wants to wipe us out. We we have three enemies, the flesh, the devil, and the world that are constantly against us, but he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 
It's the Lord that'll help us as we walk through suffering, as we walk through difficulty. He is with us. Are you with me on that? I don't know how people do it in the world that are suffering that don't have Jesus. Because he's an ever-present help in our time of trouble. He's right there with us bringing his comfort that we might be a comfort to others. And he develops us through suffering. It breaks us of our pride and our stubbornness. As he allows suffering to happen in our lives, we cling to him. We draw near to him and we look to his resources and his strength because his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's why Paul said, I'll boast in my weakness. I'll boast in my sufferings. Because when I do, the, the power of God, the anointing of God remains upon me. I'll stay in that place where the Lord can use me and bring glory and honor to him. Listen, there was a cost to his ministry. He was willing to lay down his life for the brethren, willing to make sacrifices to serve the Lord. In fact, look what he says in verse 11. To the present hour, up to this point, we're starving. We're thirsty. We're not wearing designer clothes, right? We're poorly clothed. We've been taking beatdowns. We're homeless. In other words, we got no place to lay our head. Who does that sound like? Just like Jesus, right? Working with our own, laboring. Laboring to the point of exhaustion to make ends meet. We're not getting a paycheck. We're not getting a 401k. We don't have insurance. And then this is really awesome. Look what he says. When we're reviled. Is that what it says? When we're reviled? Being reviled, we bless. What does it mean to be reviled? Anybody know what it means to be reviled? What's it mean to be reviled? People ever say harsh things to you? Anybody ever have that happen to them? Somebody says something harsh to you? Mean? Anybody ever have some, somebody say something mean to you? That ever happened to you guys? No, nobody here? Just me? <laughs> like you're driving and someone, you think they're waving to you, they're not? <laughs> But listen, people say harsh things to us even within the church. And he says, when, when people say harsh things to us, what do we do? We, we bless them. Oh, thanks. God bless you. That takes the work of God's spirit, you guys. But that's the, the one living in us is the one who enables us to bless, to respond in love, to retaliate in love. Are you with me this morning? It brings honor to the Lord as we do that. His name is hallowed. Rather than be responders and, you know, tit for tat, <laughs> didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Right? I had a, I had a, <laughs> let me show this real quick. I had a teammate in baseball that, that said to me, he was a country boy, he's like, hey, I know Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He didn't say, keep turning the other cheek, though. Like, dude, come on, man. Turn the other cheek and then what? Smack the dude again in Jesus' name? He was a big dude. Like, you know, knee to the face, the guy or what? In the Greek, it's continually turn the cheek. When you're insulted, you keep turning your cheek. You keep receiving it. And to bless. When, you're persecu- when we're persecuted, what does he say? Being persecuted, we what? Endure. 
when we're hassled, when we're harassed for the name of Jesus, we hang in there. Listen, things get difficult serving Jesus, following him, by the way. Have you found that out? You're going to want to give up. Can I encourage you to hang in there? He will give you what you need. He will strengthen you. He will enable you to do what he's called you to do. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Is your ministry for Jesus a vocation or a calling? If it's a vocation, listen, when things get tough, you know what happens when, it's, when a person it's a vocation? See you later. When it's a calling, you endure. Because it's a holy calling. It's a sacred calling God has on your life and on my life, you guys, to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You hang in there. When we're defamed, look what it says. Being defamed, we what? We entreat. What's mean, what does that mean to be defamed? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> slander, thank you. Your name drug through mud. You're slandered. You ever have somebody write you an unkind email? Mm. Or social media say something bad about you? Isn't it easy to respond? Right? Just to write something right back to, I don't know what it is, you just post, you post, fly something right back up there. Isn't it, right? Tit for tat. I don't know if that's a bad saying. I'll give somebody a piece of your mind. Defend yourself. He says, when we're defamed, worldly thinking is what? Get even. But when we're defamed, we entreat. What does entreat mean? That means give him some treats. Here you go. Okay, I'm going to entreat you. What does entreat mean? One meaning is to pray for. It also means to encourage or to exhort. Who gave us the example in that? 1 Peter 2 tells us, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was threatened, he did not respond or retaliate, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. You guys remember what Je when Jesus hung on the cross, broke, battered, bashed, back stripped apart, face beaten beyond recognition, physically wiped out, and he's hanging on the cross, and it's not enough that he's physically just mangled. They want to break him emotionally and mentally. They come up and they're hurling accusations and insults against our Lord. And how did he respond when he was defamed, when he was reviled? What did he say? Remember what he said? Father, what? Forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. He committed, he committed judgment to the one who judges righteously. It's like he didn't say, you know what, when I get down from this cross, you're toast, I'm going to get you. Right? It's like, Dad, take care of him. And you know what? The Lord will take care of that person that's messing with you. 
Do you know that? If they're, if they're a brother or sister in the Lord, guess what? Our dad will discipline us because he loves us, correct? Not fun, not pleasant, is it? Anybody enjoy God's discipline here? But God will deal with that person, correct? It's his child. Let the Lord deal with it. Because he has all the facts, he has all the information, and he's way better at dealing with stuff, isn't he? We can mess it up. We can, we can shoot an email and it's like, man, or a post or something, and now I've defiled all kinds of people because it was a bitter root that I didn't give to Jesus instead of letting him handle it. Instead of giving grace, turning the other cheek, letting him defend me. This is such a great lesson, isn't it, from Paul? So awesome. Reaching out in kindness to the one who slandered you. Well, look what else he says right at the end here. Don't mean to gross you out before lunch, but this is what it says. He says, we have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. Filth, you know what that word means? You guys ready? Leftover scum after cleaning something. So think household. What do you scour off in your house also? Pretty gross, isn't it? What's left over after cleaning is the filth. Paul, we, we're, we're what's left over after the cleaning of that tub. You guys ever clean a tub? You guys clean your tubs? I do sometimes. There's, I, three girls? Man, that thing is... And two boys and two dudes, two dudes, Luke and I. It's gnarly, man. Paul's saying this is, this is what we've been made. We've been reduced to. This is how the world views us. As the off-scouring, it's something you scour off. What is wiped off? That's pretty gross, isn't it? I would say early church life was not that glamorous. Your life was on the line. There was suffering, persecution, treated poorly. You weren't viewed as celebrities. But he's making a point here because the Corinthians thought they were celebrities. And the reality is, listen, that's not our calling. Our calling is to be servants. And Paul is not writing to make them ashamed. Look at the next two verses. That's all we got time for. Can we do it? Yeah, we can do it. Two verses. Because look what he says. I do not write these things to shame you. I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm not trying to make you ashamed. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. What's Paul saying here? I'm not writing to, to shame you, to make you ashamed or humiliated. You're like my children whom I love dearly. I'm writing to caution you, to warn you. And the warning, and the warning is we know it's about pride. The destructiveness of pride. And as a father, Paul had hard words to say, but he shares them in love, you guys. As parents, or as dads, parents, do you caution and warn your kids? Do you guys caution and warn your kids? <laughs> or it's like, Junior, just go ahead, run the street, man. 
We tell them, don't we? Look what? Both ways. I'm teaching my daughters to drive. A lot of cautioning, a lot of warning. You can't be like little Miss Linda Leadfoot, right? <laughs> Got to be a defensive driver, right? There's, a, there's cautioning. Why? Because I want them to be miserable. Be safe. Warn them. That's what Paul's saying here. I've, I led you to the Lord. He's talking about a spiritual birth here. I led you guys to the Lord. I view myself as a spiritual father to you. I care about you. You might have 10,000 instructors, teachers, but you don't have many dads. In other words, can I put it in modern day vernacular? I know there's 10,000 teachers you're watching on YouTube. But don't forget how God used me in your life. I walked with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been with you, wiping your tears, rejoicing with you in the good times. Please don't forget that. Paul was not on some power trip here or lording it over them. He has a special relationship with them and he loves them and cares about them. That's why he's warning them. He has such a heart for these precious people. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God for us. That pride is deceitful. Pride will wipe us out. Pride divides. That we would see, uh, see ourselves as we truly are. That everything we have is from the Lord, you guys. There's nothing to be prideful about. It should humble us and say, Lord, thank you. It should cause us to say, Lord, forgive me. I, I haven't been giving you thanks. I've taken everything for granted, even the work you've done in me. Oh, God, thank you. I praise you and I honor you. Lord, help me to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to, to get along. That the pieces would fit together again. That they would be one, just as Jesus prayed for us, right? That we would be one as he and the Father are one. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning and just the weight of it and the necessity. God, I pray that my precious brothers and sisters would take away the things from your heart that we would continue to grow in grace, Lord, and in the knowledge of you. That we would walk in the things you're teaching us and ministering to us. Oh God, forgive us for the pride that so easily creeps up in our hearts. The selfishness. Being so self-absorbed, Lord. Help us to get our eyes on you this morning to keep them on you, that we would, Lord, that we would fit together in a special way. You continue to knit us together by your love. That our lives would bring you glory. So thank you for speaking to our hearts, for touching and transforming our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for making us a family. May we continue to move forward together following you. And this morning as we're still in an attitude of prayer as we finish.